0: That's great. Well, we're kind of camping in Ecclesiastes 3, and if I may uh, give full disclosure here, I've been living with Solomon for a few days. You know, when you live with people, you learn from them. You know that, right? And uh, sometimes you learn what you're supposed to do. Sometimes you learn what you're not supposed to do. And I have been really meditating on Solomon's life, and it's been so instructive to me. I've been reading through Proverbs. Uh, A week ago, I was preaching a meeting in North Carolina, and I preached... Song of Solomon. We had a great time there, but I've had Ecclesiastes on my mind, and I can't get away from this one chapter, so I want you to go back there with me, if you will, tonight to Ecclesiastes chapter number three, and let's read our passage again, and tonight I'm going to bring you to the next step in God's revelation here in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book about life, so if you're living, it's for you. How many of you are living tonight? Raise your left hand, please, your other left. That's good, and if the person next to you didn't raise their hand, check on them real quick. Make sure they're still with us. But if you're breathing, that means God has a message for you in this portion of the Bible, and it'll help you. Uh, You know, some people don't figure out life until they're about to die. Uh, Really, Solomon represents that for us because it was at the end of his journey as an old man that he writes so many of these things. And I don't know about you, I don't want to wait to the end to figure out what I should have done with my life. The thing that scares me most is the thought that I could meet God at the judgment seat someday and Him say to me, you missed so much of what I had for you. And so I'm praying God will help all of us to become more of the people He created us to be. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1, Do everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And I showed you these three things last night. Everything has a season, every season has a time, and every time has a purpose. And that we understand, beginning in verse 2 down through verse number 8, He gives this pendulum of life. These 14 great contrasts back and forth. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted all the way through to show the great gamut of human experience. And may I just say, it doesn't matter how old you are and it doesn't matter what circumstances you're living in right now, you need God at this moment in your life. At every step on the journey, at every stage along the way, at every season, you need the Lord. Then come to verse number 9. What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? And some of you say, boy, that's a great verse for my job. (laughs) Solomon is saying, sometimes we work and we labor and we give effort and energy and we have so little to show for it. It's like Solomon is standing on the shores of time trying to grab a hold of something and like squeezing sand, it sifts through his fingers until finally he says, i got nothing to show for it. It's all emptiness. It's all vanity and vexation of spirit. That's life apart from God. And then he says in verse 10, I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. And now we come to our verse. And I'd like you to read the verse out loud with me tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. Ready? He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. Last night, we concentrated on the first part of the verse. Look at it with me. He has made everything beautiful in his time. I was reminded of this again today. I was talking to a man on the phone, and he was talking about an opportunity and something that he he hopes will come to pass and something he and I both are praying for. And God brought my message to my mind today. How many of you know it's one thing to preach and another thing to live it? And today, I had to say to this man, You know what we want? Let's just wait on the Lord because... I want to be sure that we're in God's time on this. I don't want to get ahead of the Lord, and I don't want to get behind God. I want to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Let me tell you what I want for my life. Let me tell you what you ought to pray for your life. Nothing more than the will of God and nothing less than the will of God. And God's timing is just as much a part of God's will as the place or the thing or the person. He has made everything beautiful in His time. And I'll remind you, only God can do that. Only God can make something and say it's good. No, it's very good. Only the Lord can do that. You can spend a lifetime trying to make a life and have nothing to show for it. You don't believe me? Ask Solomon, the man we're reading after. But God can make something beautiful of your life. God can do more with your life than you can if you'll put it in His hands. I like what the old missionary Jim Elliott said. He said, God always gives His best to those who leave the choice with Him. That's pretty good. And so, we begin with time. We begin... With right where we are. But look at the second part of verse number 11. Also. Aren't you glad for God's also's in the Bible? This is a hinge word. It's almost like also is the little hinge that opens a great big door to something on the other side. Look at the verse. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Circle the word time in your Bible. That's where you're living. You're living in time. You're bound by time. We live and die by a calendar and a clock and a schedule and an agenda. We live in time. But God is not bound by time. God's not bound by geography. God's not bound by circumstance. Matter of fact, God's not bound by anything. The only thing that binds God is our own unbelief. God says also, He hath set the world in their heart. I want you to take your pen tonight. You've marked the word time in the first part of verse number 11. But now I want you to circle This little word, world, in the heart of the verse. He hath set the world in their heart. What could that mean? If I say to you, the world, that has many different connotations. For example, I could say the world and I could be referencing the created world. I mean the planet that we live on. I could be referencing the trees and the birds and the grass and, and the land. That's the world that we live in. But that's not the world that's spoken of in Ecclesiastes 3, verse number 11. When I say world, I could be speaking of the people that live in this world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, That word world means every human being, every person in this room. But that is not the word that is used in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 11. If I say world in a spiritual sense, I could be referring to this world system that is under the control of the devil that appeals to the flesh. It's that, it's that world that John wrote and said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that can't be the world he puts in their heart. Because I don't think God would put this world system in your heart. God wouldn't put lust in your heart and desire for temporal things in your heart. So what could this world be that God puts in the heart of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl? On the margin of your Bible, I want you to make a little note. Would you take your pen out tonight and right next to world, in the margin of your Bible, I want you to write down the root word that this word world comes from. It literally means, you ready for this? Vanishing point. Literally. Not something seen, but something unseen. Not, Not as far as we can go in time, but beyond the veil of time, beyond the other side. Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe on the other side of this door something actually exists? Would you raise your hand, please? How many of you think something is actually there? It could be a facade. I'm not positive about it, but I think there's something on the other side of this door. Now watch, please. I can stand on this side of this door, and I can imagine what's on the other side. I can hope for what's on the other side. I can dream what's on the other side. But until the door opens, I cannot find what's on the other side of the door. Look, please. Also is the hinge that opens the door from time into eternity. When the Bible says, also, he has set the world in their hearts, he is saying that the eternal God put a little bit of his eternality, eternity, inside of every human being. That means that your body, you see this body? Everybody look up here. See this body? It's just flesh not very pretty flesh either. It's just flesh. And someday, guess what it's going to do? It's going right back to the dust of the ground. And you can work on it. You can run it. You can diet it. You can pamper it. You can rest it. And someday, it's going to lay down and die no matter what you do. As a matter of fact, it's it's decaying right now. It's corrupting right now. Everybody turn and look at your neighbor just a second. Would you please? Don't look at me. You can't look at me. Everybody turn. Look at somebody sitting next to you. Stare at them for just a moment. Gaze into their lovely eyes. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm very sorry about that. Just look at them for a minute. Do you know what you're looking at? You're looking at a ball of clay that someday is going back to the dust of the ground. There is no way around that. And when that happens, wait a minute. When God calls time on you, is that the end? I mean, like, that's it? Uh, John and I met a a young woman today. I'm praying for her. Her name's Christina. I wish you'd help me pray for her. Christina needs Jesus. She's lost. She stood on the porch there of her home, and she listened to the gospel, and and I'm praying she'll read the Bible, and she'll begin to open to the truth. She was very patient and listening. Christina said, she said, I don't really believe there's necessarily a God and she has this idea that, look, please, when you get to the end, it's not a door, it's a wall. In other words, you just hit the wall and it's over. Uh, you you finish time and that's the end of it. Well, I'm just tell you something. When you get to the end of this life, friend, that's not the end. That is just a speck. That's a lint on the page of history. That's just a little tiny piece of what you have to look forward to. Because on the other side of that door, there's an also. On the other side of time, I'm telling you, there's an eternity. And friends, that ought to rejoice your heart, but it ought to sober your heart at the same time. There is more to it than this. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And someday, not only is the door going to open, someday I'm going to cross the threshold. Someday I'm stepping across to the other side. I don't know if you can still hear me or not. I hope you can. Somewhere on the other side of this time that I'm living in right now that's real, this is real, there is a a reality that is just as real. Or should I say, it is more real because this will end and that will never end. There is an eternal heaven to gain. There is an eternal hell to shun. There is an eternal God to meet. And there is an eternal soul to care for right now. That's what it means. Look at the verse when the Bible says, Also, He has set the world in their heart. As a matter of fact, we'll come back to the end of the verse tomorrow night, but notice the last word of verse number 11. What's the last word of verse 11, church? Would you say it out loud? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What's the word? End. You know what Solomon is doing? He said, let's go to the very end and work our way backwards. Spurgeon said, if you want to make the most of your life, meditate on your death. Sounds a little morbid. People say, I don't want to think about my death. Well, you better, because nobody's prepared to live until first they're prepared to die. So if you want to make this day count, let me tell you what you do. You go to the last day you ever live on earth, and imagine what you want that day to to be like and live that way today because any day of your life could be the last day you spend on this planet. And someday, any moment, you could breathe your last here, you could speak your last word here, you could get up your last day here, and you could cross the great threshold from time into the presence of the eternal God. And you know what I'm saying is true tonight. Do you know why? Because on the inside of you there's a little bit of eternity that cries out. That's why men search all their lives for something. It's why they lay in bed at night thinking, Why am I here? It's why they go through their day thinking there's got to be more to life than this. It's why they try to fill the vacancy and the void on the inside with toys and things and pleasures. It's why they chase after all kinds of knowledge. Read the book of the Ecclesiastes. He tried it all. Why? Because there is inside of every human being an eternal soul that cries out. And someone said, our souls are restless until they rest in Him. And that's why we live in such a restless world. And that's why people ride in the street. And that's why people do violence to one another. And that's why people lash out at everybody else. Do you know why? Because they have not yet found the peace that passes all understanding, the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. They have not yet encountered the eternal God. He has set the world in their hearts. So he takes us to the end. Look at verse 17. Would you look at verse 17 with me? He said, I said in my heart, remember, said the word in our hearts. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. for well, there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I don't know about you, that sounds a lot like verse 1 to me. There's a time for every purpose and for every work. Let me tell you what it means. It means you're not going to live on this planet forever. And someday every man should give an account of himself to God. Someday you'll give an account for everything done in your body, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And the Bible says both the righteous and the wicked will stand, or maybe we should say will kneel in the presence of a holy God. Let me ask you a question. What if that were today? What if you knew 30 minutes from right now you were going to be in God's presence? What would you do in the next 30 minutes? There's any sin you'd confess, anything you'd get right, anybody you'd call, anything you'd care for, anything left undone that you'd say, I've got to take care of this before I meet God. Well, I want you to know that God wants us to live every day we live in light of eternity. It is only when eternity captures a man's conscience that that man begins to make his life count for eternity great Quaker Stephen Grelay said that he ran from God and rebelled against the truth for years. He said one day he was walking through the forest and the wind started blowing, howling through the trees. I, I grew up in the mountains around lots of woods and I understand what that means and they make sounds. It's kind of spooky. You ever been out in the woods like that? And Stephen Grelay said as the wind blew through the trees that day, he said I was not given to mysticism but he said it seemed that the The trees were speaking a word, and the only word that would come to my mind that it sounded like was the word eternity. He said, I picked up my pace a little to get through the forest because I didn't want to think about eternity, but the faster I walked, the more the wind howled, and the more the word pressed on my soul. Eternity. Stephen Grelay said, before I could get out of the forest, I fell on my face and said, Oh, God, I'm not ready for eternity. That was the day he received the Lord Jesus as his personal Savior. It was David Brainerd that said, I love to live on the edge of eternity. It was Robert B. McShane that said to preachers, when you preach, always preach for eternity. Dr. Robertson used to tell the story of a man who was a lost man. And he run, was running from God and he decided to take a cruise to get away from it all. And he got on a cruise ship. Don't you know God knows where you are? God was there before you got there. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Lord knows how to trail you, friends. He gets on a cruise ship, and he's standing on the deck of the ship, and a man comes up to him and introduces himself, and they start a conversation. In a moment, that man pulled a gospel track out of his pocket. said, hey, can I give you something to read about knowing God and getting ready to meet the Lord? And it angered him. It just ticked him off. He thought, here I am trying to get away from church, and one of those holy roller people have followed me on this boat. And he took that track and he tore it up in little pieces and threw it in the air. It went everywhere, right in the man's face. Stormed off, went to his stateroom, slammed the door, and took his coat off. When he took his coat off, there was one little piece of that gospel tract that had stuck on his lapel. Dr. Robertson relayed the story. He said he looked at that piece of paper, and on one side there was one word. It was the word God, the one person he didn't want to think about. He flipped it over, and on the other side there was one word, would you like to guess what the word was? Eternity. Eternity. You know what he did? Put his coat back on, went back up on the deck of the ship, found the guy, gave it to him, and said, I'm sorry, would you tell me how to know Jesus as my Savior? You know why? Because in a moment of time, God made eternity real then. See, no preacher can do this, but at this moment, the real preacher, the Holy Spirit, could pull back the veil of eternity and give you just enough glimpse on the other side of the door into the also, into what God has put in your heart that you're going to meet someday to make you think differently about your life now. And I wonder, have you thought lately much about eternity? One of God's great preachers was a man by the name of Thomas Chalmers. Chalmers was a man that was mightily used of god but early on in his life get this one he was a pastor and he wasn't even saved he didn't even believe portions of scripture and he he pastored a church and he professed to be a religious man and he was enamored with mathematics and he wrote a whole piece about how preachers ought probably just to give little religious lectures on sunday and then give themselves to something else during the week that really mattered in this world And the thing that really mattered to him was mathematics. And he wrote a whole brochure about it. And then, one glorious day, guess what happened to Thomas Chalmers? He came face to face with eternity. Thomas Chalmers, a preacher, got saved. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, he really got saved. When he got saved, God changed his life. He didn't stop his preaching. He just changed his preaching. He started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and pointing men to the Lord. As an old man, Chalmers had been mightily used of God. And he was in a preacher's meeting one day. And some of those preachers didn't like him. Some of them were jealous of him. He was an old man, and he was sitting near the front. And in the back of the room, a young minister stood up, and he said, I have something to say. He pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket, and he started reading some of the most blasphemous things you've ever heard in your life. And when he finished reading them, everybody was aghast that he would read such a thing in a preacher's meeting. When he finished, he smiled a little smirk, and he said, Would you like to know who the author of those words happens to be? He said, He's here today. His name is Thomas Chalmers. Everybody turned and looked at the old Dr. Chalmers sitting on the front. Chalmers quickly stood to his feet, and turned around, and faced all those fellow preachers, and he began to weep. And he said, It's true. Every word of it. He said, I wrote every word of it. He said, But when I wrote those words, he said, I was consumed with mathematics, but not with God. And then he said, When I wrote those words many years ago, as I studied mathematics, I had forgotten two magnitudes. He said, I had forgotten the littleness of time and the length of eternity. You know what concerns me? It concerns me that in our American Christianity, excuse me, in our prosperity and comfort, we have forgotten two great magnitudes, the littleness of time and the greatness of eternity. And I think we're going to be terribly ashamed someday when we meet God and we spend all of our resources and all of our energy and all of our time on things that did not matter eternity and I wonder is eternity in your heart tonight is it stamped on your soul does it cry out on the inside let me show you three simple truths would you look at the verse with me for just a moment number one I want you to notice that eternity is connected to him who's the him that's God Look at the verse, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart. Eternally in our idea, eternally is God's idea. And it's not just God's idea. It is his very character. It is his very nature. You see, eternality, that's rooted in God. We live in time. How many of you had a crazy schedule today? Just curious. Would you raise your hand? Crazy schedule. Yeah. And I live and die by schedule, traveling all the time and planes and checking in and out of places and meetings and all that kind of thing. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I know what time it is, and, and i got a pretty good idea what time I'm going to be done tonight. I'm not going to preach half the night. Some of you say, praise God for that. We live by time, don't we? I want you to know God's not bound by time. See, time is actually held by the eternal God. He is above time. He is outside of time. He is, he transcends time. Do you know why? Deuteronomy chapter 33 says he is the eternal God psalm, as a matter of fact, let's just go there for just a second. Go back to Psalm 90 with me for a second. This is the oldest psalm in the Bible. It's so old, David didn't write it, Moses did. That's going back a ways, isn't it? Look at Psalm 90, how it begins. It's a prayer. It's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Look at Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord... Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. So I like that. That means every generation needs the Lord. Hide in the Lord, young people. Uh, Look, you friends that have been on this planet for a while, hide in the Lord. Run to Jesus. He is our dwelling place in all generations. But look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even, look at the phrase, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. You ready for this? This is exciting to me. Did you know that the word everlasting here, it's the same basic word that's used in our text. It means from vanishing point to vanishing point. It means hit the rewind button. Go all the way back in human history as far as you can go. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. No, I'm talking about before Adam and Eve. I'm talking about, look please, all the way back to where time and earth vanish away. And when everything vanishes, guess what's still there? God is still there and hit the fast-forward button and go all the way to the end of time and watch the world burn up and everything is gone, there'll be one who is still there. You know who it is? It's the eternal God. It is the God who goes from vanishing point to vanishing point, from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. So number one, God connects eternity to himself. Can I show you the only verse in the whole Bible that has the word eternity in it? I love to preach on this text and I don't want to get bogged down there but let me just show you. Everybody turn to Isaiah 57 with me for just a minute. Would it shock you to know that the word eternity is only found one time in our English Bible? Now, everlasting, eternal, eternally, those words are found many, many times. But the word eternity is reserved for one verse in our Bible. Watch, and look who it's connected to. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one. Oh, it's wonderful. That the God who's high and lofty would speak. Oh, Lord, speak to us. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth. What's the Bible say, church? I ask you, where does God live? Immediately, everybody says, God lives in heaven. Well, it's true that God is in heaven, but you think heaven can hold him? Then somebody else says, oh, he's not just in heaven. He's in my heart. And that's a glorious thought of God. So big that he is in heaven is so personal that he dwells in us. Isn't that wonderful? And yet even that answer is not complete. And someone else says, well, God is everywhere. The omnipresence of God, and that's true too. But Isaiah 57, 15 actually goes beyond that. This is, this is the most immense answer to the question. Would you like to know where God is? He's so big, He fills up eternity. I don't know about you, that blows my little pea brain. Any, anybody else have pea brains right now and they, you just say, you know, that's, that's beyond me? Yeah, well, join the club. Can you imagine God's house is eternity? Have you ever been through the Biltmore House? In Asheville, North Carolina is the largest privately owned personal residence in the in North America. It's called the Biltmore. It is immense. It's ridiculous is what it is. My family, we've enjoyed through the years going by there. It's an amazing place. You need to stop. If you ever through Asheville, North Carolina, you need to stop and see it. It's worth the stop. And the last time we were there, we were meandering through those cavernous rooms and halls and verandas and grounds, and I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on and on, and uh, like like only a housewife can think, my wife said to me, can you imagine having to clean this house? And of course, I'm thinking, can you imagine having to pay for this house? And you walk through that house, you think, no man needs a house this big. Well, that's probably true, but can I tell you that our God is so big, He needs a house as big as eternity. But look at the verse, God shows us something here because he connects eternity not only to him but to us. Look at the rest of the verse. The God that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy says I dwell in the high and holy place with him. Oh thank you for this Lord. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. Oh this is glorious. God says I not only live in eternity but God says I'll dwell with you there. thrilling to me. Did you notice that twice he uses the word revive? We say we want revival. May I tell you, when spiritual awakenings actually come, people get awake to eternity. God always connects eternity, a sense of eternity, to real spiritual revival. So if you want spiritual revival, that's not so we can just enjoy church more, have a nice warm fuzzy feeling, or even have the building full, and say, well, our kids are going to have a good church to go to. That's not what it's about. When real revival comes, God doesn't leave you like He found you. He changes everything, and one of the first things He changes is He presses eternity on your soul. Did you write down a second truth? On our way back to our text, would you write down that eternity is not only connected to Him, but eternity is connected to our hearts. You'll notice that there in Isaiah 57, 15. Our hearts, the humble, the contrite heart. And if you go back to our text, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He hath set the world in their what? Heart. And so what is the Lord doing? He's reminding us of who we are. And I say to you that you are an eternal soul? Think of this. There was never a time you were not. Or excuse me. There was a time you were not. But there will never be another time you will not be. Ponder this. There was a time you were not. You didn't exist. August twenty fifth, 1976, I discovered America. But prior to that, at least nine months prior to that, I was not. But there will never be another time I will not be. One million Years from this moment, Scott Paul is still going to be somewhere. I'd like to just pause and give a parenthesis and say, I know where I'm going to be and I'm really excited about it. You know why? Because I have an eternal soul. An eternal soul. Watch this, please. Did you know you can have an eternal soul but not live for eternal things? See, when God says He puts the world in their heart, I believe this. I believe that all around the world, that even in people who've never heard of God, who've never had a Bible, and who've never received the Lord Jesus, that they they at least have a conscience, and they have the light of creation around them. They have a, they have some light that there is something bigger than them. That That is how you can meet somebody that has never heard the gospel, and they say to you something like this, Well, I believe in a higher power. How many of you have ever heard that? Well, I believe probably there's a supreme being. Well, I I believe there's something out there in the cosmos that's bigger than us. Do you know why that is? Because God put a little bit of eternity in everybody. A sense that there is something more, that there is someone more. And by the way, the devil has lots of cheap substitutes. And everybody wants to talk about alien life forms and all that kind of thing. Let me tell you something. The greatest pursuit of your life will be the pursuit of the knowledge of Almighty God. You'll never get to the end of that pursuit. As a matter of fact, you can grow in your knowledge of God all of your life, and in eternity, guess what you're going to do? You're going to spend the rest of eternity getting to know Him better. I've heard preachers preach that when we get to heaven, we're going to know everything. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we will know even as we are known. Can you imagine how boring it would be to know everything all at once? Can I tell you what the greatest adventure of eternity is going to be? That I'm going to go deeper and deeper into the holiness of God and the love of God and the wonder and worship of God. Hey, the adventure's just begun if you're a Christian. It gets better on the other side of the door. I promise you that. And Now watch this, please. God says, though you have an eternal soul, I want you to do more than have a consciousness that there is an eternity. I want you, you ready for this, to live like it. Are you living like it? Are you living like there's an eternity? Are you living like there's more to it than this? Would anybody outside these walls look at a church like this and say, those people are consumed with eternity? And let them call you fanatics and let them call you radical. But, friend, truth is truth. There is an eternity. The same eternity that is connected to him is to be connected to our hearts. I saw you had in your office today a classic book. I meant to say something to you about it, Don Richardson's book, Eternity in Their Hearts. The title is actually taken from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. Don Richardson was a, was a missionary scholar. Richardson uh, outlined 25 cultures around the world that they discovered that when they discovered these cultures, though they had never received the gospel, they had some semblance of truth about a creator. Not enough light to be saved, but at least enough light to know there was something more that they needed. And when they heard the glorious gospel of Christ, it put the rest of the pieces of the puzzle in place for them. I want to say to this church tonight, you and I have more than the light of creation and conscience. Praise His holy name. We have the eternal Word of God. This is eternal. The Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Did you know there's only two eternal things on this planet tonight? Only two. That is the eternal Word of God and the eternal souls of men. It's the only two things on this planet that will be here one million years from right now. You know what I believe? I believe the greatest thing you can do with your life is connect those two eternal things. When you connect eternal souls to the eternal truth and the eternal truth to eternal souls, then, friend, now you're making a real difference for eternity, and yet how much of our life is given to now and not to then me illustrate. You see this little dot right here? Right here? That's your birth. And this little line right here, that's your life. And this little dot's your death. Let's review. Here's your birth. Here's your life. Here's your death. And somebody says, well, that's that's not long enough, preacher. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says like a hand breath. We'd like it to be longer, wouldn't we? We come and we go like a vapor, hand breath. Birth, life, death. Wait a minute. And here. Stay with me now. We're going somewhere. You know where we're going? Eternity. Here's eternity. And by the way, if I ran around this church building a hundred times, how many of you would like to see that? It would be fun to watch, wouldn't it? But if I ran around the building a hundred times it would still be an imperfect illustration. Do you know why? Because there is no end to eternity. Oh, wait a minute. We all say we believe that and we nod our heads and say, that's right, preachers. Well, the Bible says, well, let me ask you a question then. Why are we giving so much of our attention and energy then to this and giving so little attention to this? God says, I want eternity to be connected to not only myself, but to yourself. There's a third truth. It's found in the wider context of this verse. See, every verse is connected to every other verse. Could I point out to you where verse 11 comes? This is deep. Are you ready? Verse 11 comes after verses 1 through 10. That's profound, isn't it? And what is verses 1 through 10 about? Verses 1 through 10 is all about this life. It's all about time. So would you write this down, please? God not only connects eternity to Himself and to our hearts, but number three, He connects eternity to here here to this present tense moment where you're living to the great here and now do you understand that this moment in time will affect eternity in some way why'd you come tonight (laughs) hear a sermon sorry to disappoint how'd you come tonight to, to see somebody else well it's nice to fellowship but let me tell you the real the real truth is the real truth is god wants this moment in time to affect all of our eternities Watch this, please. Time is to affect eternity, and the truth of eternity is to affect time. When people get consumed, I mean consumed with eternal things, their values are different. They they think different. Their math is different. Their priorities are different. Everything's different. Do you know why? Because now, suddenly, they're viewing this life, this here and now moment, from God's perspective instead of their own. And I'm afraid that it's very simple, very easy, for spiritual people to start living carnally and thinking like lost men do. And I want to say to you tonight, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with Him in glory. Stop living today for today and start living today for eternity. God connects eternity to the here and now. Sad truth is that Solomon was so wise and he made so many accurate observations. Do you know Solomon's problem? He had the right observations and the wrong applications. He observed the the futility of life and the vanity of this this earth and yet his, his application was, at least all through the book until you get to the end of it, well, let's just eat, drink, and try to enjoy the most out of our life. I mean, get all out of it you possibly can. That's the wrong application. The right application is this. Enjoy every season that God gives you. Stop enduring the season you're in and enjoy the season you're in. God's in the middle of that season. And get everything out of that season you possibly can. Learn from it because every season gets you ready for the next season. But the greatest application of all is this. Live every season of your life in light of the longest season, which will be eternity. What if we started making all of our decisions in light of eternal things? What what if we started choosing things and planning things in light of eternity? Oh, how it would change our lives! be Bliss who wrote so many of the great hymns in our hymn book. Died right here in Ohio. And his wife were coming back from a meeting after Christmas. They were to meet up with D.L. Moody. They were on the way back to their children. Ashtabula, Ohio, their their train went across a railroad trestle that was weighted down with snow and it collapsed under the weight of that train, went all the way to the bottom of a ravine. That wooden train caught on fire. It'd be bliss if I remember correct, was 33. He got free, but his wife could not. He crawled back inside, tried to free her, could not, and he sat down next to her and said, If you're going to heaven today, I'm going with you. And both of them sat there, and met God. It went into eternity. Of all the songs P.P. Bliss wrote and sang, many of them are famous. Few people know the last song he ever wrote, it was the last song he ever sang. He had just finished the words. He had just finished the words, and in the meeting that they had just come out of, he sat down to the piano and he began to sing them. Here are the words of the last song that P.P. Bliss ever wrote. Oh, the clanging bells of time. Night and day they never cease we are wearied with their chime for they do not bring us peace and we hush our breath to hear and we strain our eyes to see if thy shores are drawing near eternity eternity oh the clanging bells of time how their changes rise and fall but an undertone sublime sounding clearly through them all is a voice that must be heard as our moments onward flee and it speaketh I one word eternity eternity Oh, the clanging bells of time to their voices loud and low. In a long unresting line we are marching to and fro. And we yearn for sight or sound of the life that is to be. For thy breath doth wrap us round. Eternity. 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 Oh, the clanging bells of time. Soon their notes will all be dumb. And in joy and peace sublime, we shall feel the silence come. And our souls, their thirst will slake. And our eyes, the King will see. When the glorious morn shall break. Eternity. Eternity. I wonder, is eternity fresh in your heart tonight? Is it affecting the here and now of your home life and your business dealings and your financial affairs? How's it affecting time right now? Because that's the way God always intended us to live, in light of eternity. This past summer, I had the privilege of being back in Australia to preach. I'd been there one previous time and preached in Brisbane. But this trip, the meetings were concentrated in the Sydney area. And it it was beautiful. And we honestly were taken with the beauty of Sydney Harbor and so many of the things we had hoped to see but that was not my favorite thing in Sydney while I was in Sydney I was reminded of a man by the name of Arthur Stace in 1933 Arthur Stace was a drunk and into a meeting one night like this meeting sat on the back and got under conviction he was drunk stumbled out of the meeting under conviction of sin, wandered across the street from the church building and knelt in an old park by himself and through his tears he said to the Lord, Lord will you save me? And God saved Arthur Days. A few weeks later he went to a men's meeting and he was sitting in a men's meeting and somebody in the meeting that night referenced Isaiah 57, 15, the verse I showed you a moment ago. The one verse in the Bible has the word eternity in it and when they read the word eternity, it just like jumped off the page at Arthur Stace. Now you've got to realize Arthur Stace stood about five feet three inches tall. He was uneducated. They said he could barely write his own name. And this poor uneducated man Sitting in the back of the auditorium, got so consumed with the word eternity, he thought to himself, I wish everybody in Sydney had to think about eternity. He reached his hand in his pocket, standing there, felt something and pulled it out. And it was an old piece of chalk he'd stuck in his trousers and something from the house had been working on, this old piece of chalk. And he walked outside the meeting that night, and he went around the corner from where they were meeting, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he, he thought, I'm going to write this word on the sidewalk took that piece of chalk, and he wrote the word eternity, and it was it was beautiful. I mean, it actually came out well for a fellow that couldn't write his name hardly. He did pretty well with it. Arthur stay stood up, looked at that one word on that sidewalk, and he thought, I can do that. I'm not a preacher. I, I can't speak like that man in there spoke a moment ago, but maybe I could write the word. Arthur Stace started getting up every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning. Before anybody was out, before the business rush, Arthur Stace got up every morning, hold on to your seat, for 30 years. 5 a.m. Took a piece of chalk, wandered the streets of Sydney, Australia, and wrote one word on the sidewalk. All over the city, eternity. They said by the time he was done, he had written the word half a million times. It became quite a folk legend, and here was the irony of it. Nobody knew who was doing it. It was a mystery. And everybody would talk about it, and they would look for it on the the streets. And the newspaper started writing about Mr. Eternity. Nobody knew who Mr. Eternity was. One morning, Arthur Stacey's pastor was on his way out early to make a hospital call and he was walking through downtown Sydney He came around the corner and saw little Arthur Stacy down on his knees with a piece of chalk writing Eternity and his own pastor said, Arthur, are you Mr. Eternity? And Arthur said to his pastor, he said, Preacher, he said, I felt like I couldn't do a lot, but maybe, just maybe, I could just get people, somebody to think about Eternity. Do you know that to this day, in two or three locations around Sydney, Australia, that in a beautiful copper plate writing on the ground is that word eternity? still there. Do you know that on January 1st, 2000, when the millennium switched over, how many of you remember Y2K? Remember the world was coming to an end? Everybody remember that? Well, the world came to an end in Sydney before it came to an end here because they're ahead of us, about 14 hours. And on January 1st, 2000, did you know that on the Sydney Harbor Bridge, which is massive, they flashed up in neon lights one word. Would you like to guess what word they put up? Eternity. And it all went back to a man in 1933 He got consumed with eternity in his heart. I stood in Sydney Harbor getting ready to get on a boat, and I was speaking to a young lady, a young Australian lady, and I said to her, have you ever heard of a fellow named Arthur Stace? And she said, no, sir, I don't know that name. I said, he's one of the greatest people in your history here in Australia. She said, really? I've never heard of him. I said, you should look him up, read his story. I said, he was a fascinating man and he had a fascinating message. And I thought to myself, how many people so close to eternity get living so far away? Not just lost people. Many days. We've been so consumed with time. We've forgotten. And he said, "Eternity, the world, in our hearts." Our Father, I thank you for the Word of God. That liveth and abideth forever. And I ask now, in the name of Jesus, that you would stamp eternity on our souls. May it make a difference in the way we live. Heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I don't think, it's all right, we'll have any music tonight because I'd like the only sound in this room to be the sound of people praying. And I'm going to get right to it. How many of you know you're saved, you're sure of it, and you're glad about it? Would you lift your hand toward heaven? You say, I know that much, preacher. I'm saved. That's settled. Would you thank the Lord for that right now? Just lower your hand and say to God, thank you for saving me. Thank you. Thank you for getting me ready for eternity. And I must ask this question. Is there even one among us tonight that would say, Preacher, I must be honest with God and with myself and with you. I'm not 100% sure if I died tonight that I'm ready for eternity. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I don't want to be lost. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine right now. You say, That's me, Preacher. Pray for me. Pray for me. I need the Lord. Now I know that parents are sensitive to the needs of their children grateful to God for that anyone you say I need Jesus if you need the Lord you can call on him now and be saved you can say to the Lord save me Lord I trust you Lord and he will hear and answer that prayer best I can tell I'm speaking to God's people tonight so I have two simple questions here's the first how many Christians in this room tonight would say preacher I'm just going to be blunt and be honest I'm saved I know I have eternal life But I have not been living my life for eternal things like I ought to. In fact, I've been a little distracted by this life. It may not be the worst thing in the world, maybe even be good things. But eternity has not been the main thing to me. And tonight I want to ask God to forgive me of that. And I want a real renewal in my own walk with Jesus and a rededication to Christ. That's me. Pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the with mine right now. God bless you. Several of you. Thank the Lord for that. God bless you, friends. Here's the second question. How many believers in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I'm saved. I'm trying to walk with God, live the Christian life. But tonight I realize that there is a a seriousness, a soberness to life about eternity that I need more of, that I need a clear vision of eternal values and what matters to God. I I need a burden for souls around me. I need to start thinking about the fact this is not going to last forever, but eternity is, and if God will help me, i'd like to start ordering my life and my family and my christian witness and my dealings with people in the community more with eternity in mind i'd like to be a mr eternity i'd like to be a miss eternity you say i'm a christian and i i mean this preacher pray for me i want you to raise your hand toward heaven right now would you please god bless you here's what i'm going to do in a moment i'm going to count to three i'm going to ask every christian in this room that knows god's spoken to you tonight about either one of those things either something you need to get right or your burden for others and for your life and your influence. On the count of three, if you mean it, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. One, two, three. Quickly, quietly, just take your stand for the Lord tonight and say, God's speaking to me as a Christian, and I want my life to be different. I want my priorities to be different. I want my influence to be different. Oh, Lord God, awaken us out of our lethargy, and our mediocrity, our normalcy. Awaken us to eternity. If you're standing right now, would you look at me? I want you to know that if revival ever comes to this church and revival ever comes to this community, it will be because somebody here gets awake to eternity. In the stillness and quietness of this moment, I'm going to ask those of you that are standing, if you're physically able, if you'd leave your place and come join me in this altar, let's have a prayer tonight that God will help us to live in light of eternity. If you can kneel, you can kneel here if you need to stand or sit on the front. And I'm going to ask you find a place to pray right now and do business with God. The Lord's been speaking to you. Talk to Him about whatever God's talking to you about. Ask God to be thorough with you, to change in you whatever needs to change in you. Oh, may God break up our fallow ground, such hardness in all of us. Oh, Lord, we get so distracted. Please, Lord, break up whatever you need to break up and shake up whatever you need to shake up. So get us ready, Lord. Ready, Lord, for eternity. Holy Ghost, write the word on our souls tonight. Plant it on our minds. Let us see others as eternal souls for whom Jesus died. Let us see this life through the lens of eternity. And I want you to hold your place where you are for just a moment. You're doing business with God about your own life and your own family, your own spiritual need. But let's go a step further, shall we? How many people in this room right now are burdened for somebody that you know that's lost and needs Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Would you pray for them right now? Call their name to God right now and just say, Lord, save them. Dear Lord, don't let them go to hell. you ever weep for a soul? Does it bother us? People will perish. Oh, Lord. How I many of you know a prodigal? Some might say, but they're away from God, squandering like Solomon did, wasting their opportunity. Would you raise your hand? Are you burdened for them? Pray for them right now. Call their name. Oh, Lord, bring that prodigal home. God is able, friends. Yes, He is. Lord, bring them to themselves and bring them to Thee. Father, get out of us what doesn't need to be there, but put into us what needs to be there. May this truth of eternity be so deeply in our hearts that it may affect the way we live our lives. Jesus. Stay and pray as long as you need to pray. You should not be in a rush when God is at work. What will change? Will anything change? all we do is have a meeting and I preach a handful of sermons and nothing changes, then I've wasted my breath. You've wasted your time. Oh, Lord, change me. Make us a different people. Lord, let us make a difference. I pray, oh, God, heaven's wind may blow through this church. The Holy Ghost may stir and speak and work. Set this church, Lord, on fire for Thee with a passion. You have given them such an amazing beginning, such a tremendous opportunity. Dear Lord, do all that is in your heart in this place for eternity. Jesus. Amen. Well, you've been very patient listening again tonight, and I want to thank you. Could I challenge you to do something? Write the word eternity somewhere where you're going to see it for a few days. I don't know where that would be for you. Uh, Maybe someplace you go frequently. For me, that'd be the refrigerator. I go there a good bit. Uh, But maybe on the mirror, maybe on your car. I don't know. Carrot in your pocket. Facebook would be a good place Facebook would be a good place to share it with everybody else too but I want you to think about eternity and be made to think about it again and again go back to this passage and meditate on it now I get to preach to you one more time tomorrow night and I'm excited about it I think you probably know where we're going right Ecclesiastes 3 thats the Lord tells us to do something different I think that's what God wants and so tomorrow night I'm going to preach on what in the world is God doing I if you've wondered that in the last few weeks. I've been kind of curious myself. Well, I believe Ecclesiastes 3 gives us a few answers, and I'm looking forward to sharing them with you. So I hope you'll be here. You don't have your own church to go to, and I hope you will bring somebody with you. And let's try to make the most of this meeting. Pastor, thank you again for letting me be here. Very grateful. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I intended to bring some resources. I, I did bring some resources, and I stopped off in Ripley uh, at your church and preached Saturday night and Sunday morning, and they took about everything I had. It wasn't nice of those people, was it?